about, because I'm a car guy, you guys know I'm a car guy, and so one of the, yeah, I'm shocked. Um, what I get a lot is people, over the years, people would say, well, it must, a common phrase is it must be nice or you can't hide money. Have y'all ever heard that? It's like all the time, anytime we come across people, if you're car people, you get that a lot. Nobody ever says, oh, I bet you work really hard, or I bet you budget your money well. <laughs> Nobody ever says any of that stuff. Like, why is everything always negative? We say the same thing about, like, kids that are rambunctious or, like, hard-headed and, like, bullheaded. Like, they're going to give you all this trouble. Nobody says, oh, these are going to be great leaders. Like, why do we always default to the negative on everything? Urgh, that frustrates me. I call people out on this kind of stuff. Huh? What? Remind everybody about the ladies' retreat. Hey, everybody. Don't forget, ladies' retreat. When is it? Next weekend's ladies retreat. It's not too late for someone to. <laughs> I know I, she does not want to have the microphone. It's not too late if you if you want to go and you can't afford it. Let us know. We'll figure out a way. We'll we'll front the money. We'll work it out. So, yeah. We'll give them a couch. Oh, okay. We got air mattresses. We have air mattresses. Tracy will say, look, look at my humble wife. She will take the couch and give you her bed. <laughs> Melissa said it too. She said it first. Tracy jumped on board. Y'all are both awesome. <laughs> Who's more humble? Y'all fight it. Y'all go fight. I'm, I'm the humblest. <laughs> I'll sleep on the floor. I'll sleep outside with no air condition. And I'll pray all night. <laughs> I won't be sleeping because it's hot. There's a pool. <laughs> stop, stop. I need to get to something eventually. All right. See, we can have fellowship this way, too. Yeah. Save some money. Meet up where Tracy sits. All right. I want... <laughs> Laughter is good medicine. All right. I wanted to kind of finish up what I couldn't finish up last week, but as usual, I added a bunch of stuff to it, so we'll try to get through it pretty quick, because I want to kind of have a discussion that I wanted to have last week, but I didn't even get through the whole thing to have a discussion, so feel free to speak up if you if the Holy Spirit speaking something to you, or if something I says prompts something to you. Um, we are very good with people talking, if you, <laughs> obviously, uh, so don't, don't be afraid to do that. Um, Unless it's just something completely random that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. We'll talk about that later, and that's also my job. All right, so we don't need two of us in here. Uh, we ended, <laughs> I don't want to review too much, but um, we talked about, if, if you weren't here, we talked about Paul and Silas, and they were in prison. Um, basically, they were frustrated by a lady who was saying pretty good things, but they were just aggravated with her, and she wasn't, she wasn't good, but she was saying some good things. They were frustrated, they were legitimately aggravated, and they cast a spirit out of her. And then they got thrown in prison for it, and then because they were disrupting everybody, so they get thrown in prison. Um, the earth shakes, the the gates fly open, the shackles fall off, and they don't leave. Um, which is crazy because, like I said, if this was playing out in a movie, you'd say, "Get out of there! This is you need to get out. This is God opening the doors, dropping the shackles. Get out!" But they don't. They remain calm, which is crazy. They were worshiping in there. They were singing. Um, obviously, they were ministering to the other people because they didn't leave either. Because if they weren't ministering to him, I would think they would bolt too. So they're ministering to all those people. And instead of bolting, they see the guard who has given up on life because he knows what's coming for him because all the people would have escaped. And he's about to fall on a sword and commit suicide. And Paul says, no, don't do that. Look, we're all here. You're not going to get in trouble. And this guy comes and he comes to know the Lord. And they also go and they stay up all night. 
baptizing the whole family because they all get saved. And so what we talked about last week was um, really being free in the midst of being in prison or being, um, uh, being secure in the Lord regardless of your circumstance, essentially. Uh, and that's, man, they got it. I mean, Paul and Silas really nailed that with that, that thing. Also, as I studied it throughout the week, it really stuck with me, um, thinking about how Jesus taught that over and over again about loving our enemies and, and even demonstrated it, which hopefully we'll get to a little bit here. But, um, but I kind of relate that. All these, I'm not trying to compare what we deal with to that, but I think that there are lessons to be learned that we can apply to things that we deal with. And no doubt in my mind that what we're dealing with right now is very traumatic, uh, the whole pandemic, from all the division and all the, you know, man, it's, it's heavy. It's heavy. Uh, one, one of the good, the only, uh, one of the main good things that came from my Facebook account getting hacked, it broke my heart because I had so many memories on there and all these things the Holy Spirit gave me that I only wrote down there. And it, it was like, I really mourned my old Facebook page. But it also made me realize how much of my identity was caught up in that. And I thought, man, it's all gone. It's, it's just gone. But the one good thing that came from that was I've, tried to, and I'm not saying I'm completely successful, tried to distance myself from social media a little bit because you can, I mean, if you get to scroll and you can just see no one needs, <laughs> no one needs that kind of, many, let me say it this way, many people don't need that kind of platform, but they use it anyway. That's the nicest way I could say that. And you can get caught up in it and you can get fired up and you can get frustrated and, and it can start to really affect you. I mean, it's, it, it's, it can affect you. So all that to say in, in a good way, um, I really started to look at our family and what we do, and how, you know, Trace and I have talked about a lot of this even the, the last few weeks, and even while we were sick and stuck stuck in quarantine for like three different times between uh, Trinity getting it, getting COVID, and then we got the second Delta variant or whatever we both got, um, which was rougher than the first one, but for us anyway, um, and it 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 allows you or kind of forces you to be like isolated <laughs> and separated, and you got to do something with that time. So anyway. Lots of uh, reflecting and praying and um, all that to say when, <clears throat> when we deal with traumatic events or when things shake, uh, we kind of talked about that whole earthquake shaking, when it feels like our, founda- our foundation is shaking, which it's not, our ultimate foundation isn't, but when it feels that way, what do we do? What do we do in the midst of a shaking? Um, and what I wanted to get to was what do we do in the midst of it, but also what do we do after, after things shake? And where we kind of ended last week was we were talking about striving. Um, striving is when we start to try to make things happen um, that really is supposed to be God making things happen. I don't know if you have ever done that, um, but I find myself doing that a lot. Uh, I, will, I will see things and I will react instead of really praying and responding. And I think that comes from, I don't know where that comes from, maybe, just, maybe it's my human side wanting to make things happen instead of allowing things to happen sometimes. Um, and what we found is the, the Bible tells us to strive to enter into his rest, not to strive for anything else, but to strive to enter his rest. Um, we also talked about waiting on the Lord. Uh, Isaiah forty thirty one says, Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, that they shall mount up like wings of eagles, wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. All those things come from waiting on the Lord. Um, we touched on Second Timothy. Uh, when Paul was writing, he he says he's mindful of your tears, but he says three different times of this genuine faith that is in you. He says it's passed down from his grandmother. He's saying this, this faith is in you. He says it three different times is in you. It reminds me of when Jesus prayed for his disciples and also us who would be coming after him. And he says, Lord, I just want them to know you like I know you. I want 
me and you and you. He says it over and over again, if you remember those scriptures, and us and them and them with us. And basically saying, I want, I want, you, I want them to know me and know you like I know you. And so Timothy is reiterating, I'm sorry, uh, Paul is reiterating that in 2 Timothy, saying, look, I see your tears. I see that you're struggling. Don't try to find something new. Know that what you have is inside you. And so we talked about last week. I'm just trying to quickly review. So um, if you're already here, you already know all this. But, uh, but he was just encouraging him to not look outside of really who he was and how he had the Holy Spirit already. So don't, don't try to find something else. You've got it. Find what you have and do something with that. Um, but what I, f- I find about waiting on the Lord, I don't know about you, but I'm real impatient. Um, God's not in a hurry. And that's frustrating sometimes because I am. I'm always in a hurry. God plays a long game. He does. And I think what I found over and over, I'm 44 now, I found over and over in my life is the times when I've, I've really had to clean up messes is when I... I did things prior to listening to the Holy Spirit and leading me to do those things. That's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. Um, and I've also found the exact flip of that coin is when I have listened to, to the Holy Spirit, and most recently it's been this whole house thing with us not knowing what was going to go on, when I took a step back and prayed about it, also listen to your wife. That's another good thing to do. Um, or not just your wife, but other people who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit too. Sometimes, sometimes we miss it. We need someone else to remind us. Um, but to take a step back and say, God, what are you doing here? Because my plan's not working. Six months in, obviously, <laughs> this isn't the direction you want us to go. So where do you want us to go? And it's funny. It's not funny. It's, it should be concrete that he does it every time. It may, maybe in his time, but he always does. He's always faithful. I, and I don't say that because just because I see it in Scripture. I've seen it in my life. He's always faithful. Every time I take a step back and go, man, I've really messed this, or God, I've really messed this up. Somehow, with the best of intentions, I have really, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. And God always comes through and says, all right, son, <laughs> let's try it my way. And it's always better. <laughs> it seems so simple. I don't know why I keep doing this. Same thing with prayers. Like, even when, when God is quick, and he is sometimes, when he's quick to answer a prayer, I'm always surprised. Like, wow, that worked. I prayed, and it just happened. Like, why are we so surprised by that? I don't get it. Um, uh, but <clears throat> when we're patient, when we wait on the Lord, uh, we begin to see things that others don't see. When Paul and Silas were in prison, probably what most of us would see would be gates open, freedom run out. But Paul saw something different. Why? He was calm. He was waiting on the Lord. He saw that the, the guard needed something. Who was the guard? It was his enemy. The guard was not just a little bit his enemy, was a lot his enemy. The guard was against them, way against them. And when we see this, it reminds me of a few different things. Uh, it reminds me of uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how calm they were in the fire, and they were like, hey, the Lord takes us, would you be with them? If not, we're cool. It reminds me of Elijah calling down the fire when all these other people were striving and cutting themselves and trying to do all this stuff to bring down the, our God, and, and <laughs> Elijah even mocks him and says, where's your God? Is he relieving himself? Um, and says, calmly, they pour buckets of water, and he calls, and fire comes down. I see that same confidence, that same um, knowing uh, in Paul and Silas here saying, God's going to free us. I'm not concerned about being free. We're fine regardless. We're worshiping in here. We're worshiping out of here. Paul even says this later in Scripture. I found the secret to contentment. 
I got, I've got Christ. Period. Whether I have a lot, have a little, I'm in prison, nearly beaten to death, or fully beaten to death, I've got Christ regardless. I have Christ, period, and that's all I need. Be careful, especially in the climate that we're in, um, to not be distracted from that, that Christ is enough. We're so easily caught up in who's right and wrong that sometimes we forget to love in the midst of it. I think sometimes instead of having discussions and arguments about the shaking and what's going on, we should be looking for opportunities to love others in the midst of it, the same way Paul and Silas did. Listen, when we say love our enemies, a lot of us think of um, the Taliban or the lost, whatever you want to call. But when I'm talking about loving your enemies, it may be your coworker or your jerk boss (laughs) or your legitimate neighbor or gasp another Christian. Listen, when, when Paul and Silas do this, they're just in tune with what God's doing. They're not, they're not like, and it's, it's even so simple. And here's, this is another thing. This is kind of a sidebar. Especially in youth ministry, I hear, I've heard um, a huge question that comes up is how do we hear from God? How do we hear from the Holy Spirit? How do we know that it's him? Listen, God has not left us as, as orphans. He's, he brings us in as sons and daughters. My kids know my voice. It, it sh- seriously should be as, as natural as breathing. M- I see most of the time, <laughs> I'll say this about people, but I'm really talking about me. Most of the time, people spend more energy overanalyzing, arguing, trying to figure out why, or any, all of that from the voice of the Lord. It's not trying to figure out if it's him or not. You know it is. You just don't want to do it. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes you do, but sometimes, yeah. So I, I have found myself in the past more so than now um, just because I've seen it play out differently. I spend more time questioning, analyzing, like trying to work through and figure out instead of just simply trusting. I go back to hearing the, the baby Babies have to fully depend on their parents. They just have to. They don't have a choice. And Jesus was very clear when he said, listen, you guys need to have a faith like a child. You need to have faith like a child. You need to fully trust me. And I heard that so much in worship that we trust him for eternity, but we won't trust him for today, for our lives. We know that heaven is not just some geographical location. The kingdom of heaven it says is righteousness, peace. It says not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us. You have a deposit of the Holy Spirit with you. You're a walking, talking temple. You get to walk around and minister to people. You're not waiting for glory land someday. Yes, we get to experience in its fullness, bonus, but you get to have it right now. Otherwise, we just hold people a little longer when we baptize them and send them on their way. I mean, if we're going to take it to its end, if, if ultimately heaven is our goal and it's just to get like, this is what I, was, I heard a lot in churches growing up was, we need to get people saved so that they can go to heaven. It was like this, it was like we're doing this, which is the exact opposite. If you read scripture, it's to put heaven in people. Amen. Your job is to bring heaven to people. The kingdom of heaven is where? It's at hand. It's right here. It's, it's with you. So when we when we see Paul and Silas, they're not they're not just trying to catapult people up into heaven. They're bringing heaven in the prison. They're bringing heaven to the guard. 
They're bringing the kingdom everywhere they go, and it manifests itself. Jesus did the same thing. when the le- We talked about last week when the leper came up to him. He knew that what, it, what was in him was greater than what was in the leper. He wasn't worried about a disease getting on him. Listen, look at our history through Bible, even in Christian history. You will see, and it reminds me of the, the chosen, those fish turning around, the blue fish turning around. You look at Christians in all of history, you always see us doing, a lot of times, most of the time, doing the opposite of what the culture is doing. Why? We have something that the world doesn't have. And I'm not talking about being reckless and being ignorant. The Bible says to be shrewd, to be clever as a viper, and be innocent as a dove, meaning trust the Father in everything, but be smart. You know, don't be ignorant about it and just go out and... and... Anyway, I'm saying you carry something greater than anything that could... I mean, even if... I don't know. I don't know how far I want to go with this. Let me get back to my notes before I get too crazy off. I'm pretty sure being in prison was not Paul and Silas' plan. <laughs> I don't think they had a daily planner, and uh, Ben and I talked about this, um, that Jesus didn't wake up and say, oh, I'm about noon, I'm going to feed 5,000, need five loaves and two fish. No, he lived in the moment. That's how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to hear from the Holy Spirit. We talk about shepherds and sheep. You guys, you guys aren't just all lost sheep. You guys are shepherds too. You know that, right? I think that we've, we've created this culture in America where, not to say I'm not shepherding in some ways, but you guys are. We meet here to gather so that we can go out there and do good. This, is, this isn't the end goal, you know. I love church. I love meeting with you guys. I love that we can get on the same page about things, but I'm telling you it's with that person that you disagree with when the world's going to be changed. When you sit down and have coffee with them. We went to college. We were touring colleges with Trent. And as we're there, this was, it's been a while back. It was during, it was before the election, I think. And so they had this massive group of, of Trump supporters. And they just had big Trump flags and everything like that. And, and, and then they had this gap. And then they had this massive group of, most of them, from what I could tell, was like LGBT. They had the rainbow flags and everything. And they were just shouting. Shouting on the corner at each other, at cars. People were honking. It was wild. And I told Trent while we were up there, I don't know if you remember this, but I was like, look, if you go to this college, I don't want to see you on this corner doing this kind of stuff. I said, this isn't changing the world. I said, if you want to do something, go to the homeless shelter down the road and feed someone. Or, I mean, find someone across this gap that you disagree with and take them to coffee and sit down and talk to them. Hear what they have to say. You know, care. Amen. <laughs> don't just stand up and scream at everyone because that, that's not the solution. It's not. And I think the same way we need to trust the Father with with our lives, we need to trust it with our kids' lives. That's hard. (laughs) I'm saying that from experience. That's hard. But we don't just need to demonstrate this. And it's not for the sake of just going against culture. I'm not saying just do it so that we're standing out or anything like that. I'm just saying you carry something greater than anything that's going to come against you. Greater is he that is where? In me that is he that is in the world. So it's, this, isn't, this isn't some radical new idea. It's been going for a long time. All right. <clears throat> what are we doing after the shaking? Many, many of us will seek safety and comfort. We talked about last week, safety is a fallacy. None of us are really safe. <laughs> I know we like to think we're safe. But none of us are really safe. I always use the example of locking our, we always lock our doors and, 
and uh, put our seatbelts on, which is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but I work on cars, and you're one bolt away from being dead. <laughs> I mean, it's just we go 80 miles an hour on the interstate and think, oh, we're good. Man, it's a super dangerous place out there. Um, are we, I mean, I, I always think it's funny to me. Statistically, you're more likely to die in a car wreck than a plane, but every time I get on a plane, I don't think that. <laughs> I, think, I feel safer in a car because this is even super And I'm watching, like, especially if you're in the back of the plane, you can see the whole, like, fuselage. And it's supposed to do that, but it's still unnerving when you see it move. It, like, bends. Like, it bends because it won't break. It bends because it won't break. It bends because it won't break. <laughs> or I'll see the wings doing the same thing. Like, oh. I don't know. Flying's, I'm, I'm sketchy about flying. I have to fly with work, and I, I don't know. It's sketchy. I like being on the ground. I like being on the ground, even though it's statistically I'm more, it's more dangerous there. Um, but if my car breaks down, I can just pull over. I can just pull over a plane. All right. Uh, Roads that work on a cloud. And it's funny how this doesn't have anything to do with it. Uh, squirrel, all right. Um, <clears throat> whew. I want to get to the discussion part of this. I don't want to, I'm going to skip over some stuff. All righty. We talked about that mostly. All right, so when we talk about this, this Christ life, the beautiful thing about Scripture is it teaches us and shows us what other people have gone through, what other people have dealt with so that we don't have to make those same mistakes. Uh, my kids get tired of hearing me say um, how rough we had it. I picked them up with one of my little project cars. I had no AC from school and they were all embarrassed. They were putting their heads down and everything. And I told them, I was like, my first like two or three cars didn't have air conditioning. The one that did have air conditioning, I couldn't even run it unless I was moving. If I stopped, I'd usually have to run the heater because it would overheat. And, uh, and they're like, oh, everything was so bad. When you, you know, that's all I ever say is everything was so bad. I feel like the, people, the old people that would say they walked like uphill in the snow both ways to school. Like, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I'm that guy. <laughs> but when we, I don't know, when, when I, try to, I try to teach my kids, I want them to have, good, to have character. And they are spoiled in some ways because we have tried to give them a life that we didn't have. And I, I know many of you do the same things because we love our kids. Um, but at the same time, I want to teach them to, to have character whether they have things or don't have things. And I think when we, when we look at Scripture and we see how, even specifically how Jesus' disciples respond in the moment, I always want to teach my kids that it's not just about church on Sundays. It's not just about what, what you give or what you don't give in church. It's about who you are and what you give outside of this building. These things are important, but what's more important is how you act and react to other people in your lives moment by moment. I want to talk about one quick story, and then we're going to get into a discussion, hopefully, if you guys have something to say. Um, we see how uh, Jesus' disciples respond. In Luke 22, if you want to turn there with me, it's Luke 22:33. As he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. But that wasn't God's plan. But that's what he was ready for. It's what most of us say. We're ready to do these things. And God's like, this. Jesus said, this isn't even in my plan. So Jesus answers, I tell you, Peter, 
For the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Jesus asked him, when I sent you without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, there are two swords. And he said, that's enough. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up. We're skipping down to 47. Sorry, I didn't tell you that. Uh, Skip down to 47. While he was still speaking, the crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw that what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? They didn't wait for a response. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? So I want to stop there. He told them to sell their stuff and buy swords, and they go to use them, and he gets on to them about it. Does that make any sense? (laughs) Well, it does if you look at the prophecy. All the way from Isaiah, it says, he will be numbered with the transgressors. The swords weren't there to defend them. He says right after, when he tells them to sell the swords, in verse 37, it says, it is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. That's a big clue right there. The reason he needed them to have two swords is because you need two swords to be a rebellion. He was, they were, looked like a gang. They looked like they were causing trouble, and he needed to be in there so that he could be crucified so he could die for our sins. So the swords there... People want to use this as, a, as a, 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 an argument for different, different things. But what they were there for, I think, is twofold. One is they had to be to fulfill prophecy because he was going to be part of a rebellion and they needed to arrest him. Two, I think he was showing the disciples what we were just talking about living in the moment. How could you choose to not use your sword if you don't have one? Right? You, can't, you, you don't have that option, so there's no choice to be made. I think he was teaching them in the moment that there was a battle going on, 100% there was a battle going on, but Jesus was fighting it in the spirit, not in the flesh. He was teaching them in the moment, we aren't going to fight this with swords. I've got something bigger. My kingdom is greater than just fighting Roman soldiers. I'm not looking to make um, you know, Israel the, the geopolitical power. I am fighting a battle for all people, for all nations. I am fighting a battle that's going to allow everyone to come to know my God, to know your Father. And instead, he heals his enemy's ear. That's how the kingdom works. It's like an upside-down kingdom. That's not how normal earthly kingdoms work. And that comes from, if you want to look it up, Isaiah 53, 12, and he was numbered with the transgressors. We go back to the history of Christians, and we see... We see us walking towards plagues, towards wars, the opposite direction of what most people would do. And it's really not that difficult if you think about it. We trust them with everything else. But it's funny how we compartmentalize some of these things and we say, well, we trust them with these big things, but these little things, we're going to take care of ourselves. I think that's, I think that's cute. Um, my mom, my mom's actually here. My mom told me one time that God gave her an upfront parking spot and I thought that was... I scoffed at it. I didn't tell her at the time, and I thought, God's not concerned with our parking spots. You know, I'm thinking of hungry babies and people dying. But as I matured and grew up, I realized that that's something that she needed in that moment. And he was concerned. It's not saying you're all going to get up front parking spots because you're not. 
I'm saying in that moment, she needed a reminder of who God was to her as a father, and he gave it to her. That's how concerned God is with us. Enough to remind me of, of just hearing a baby laugh. That's how much God, he, he will give you a deposit that you need in the moment that you need it. Um, I thanked uh, a couple that's not here. We've got several people out. Um, but I think the couple that has been coming to our church for a while but came at a very specific time that I needed it. And I tell you, don't sleep on those things. If the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something, say it. I, I, the thing that I told them, I wanted to tell them for months, and I just never did because I didn't want it to be awkward or anything. And I, all I was saying was, I really appreciate you guys. You guys have been an encouragement. That was it. But for whatever reason, I held back for months about it, and then the Holy Spirit prompted me again last Sunday to say it. And don't sleep on that stuff because you don't know if you'll get another opportunity to do it. There are those times when, when the Holy Spirit prompts us and, and I don't know, uh, Julie says 100% of the time, and she's probably right. I just know more and more as my life has gone on, there's been less and less coincidences, <laughs> things that I've called coincidences. Each, th- each, each time that I think, wow, that's a coincidence, or wow, that's neat that that happened that way, I've learned to realize that God has done it in a certain way and it has a certain purpose for it. Whether we capitalize on it, it's completely up to us. That's, that's why we co-labor. We're not just laying around not doing anything, but we are, we are wise and we're open our eyes to what's going on around us. I think that's part of the being uh, clever as serpents. We're, our eyes are open, but we're innocent as doves because we trust the Father to actually do the work. We plant, we water, but who brings the growth? He does. So we trust in Him with everything, and we just co-labor. All right. I want to talk. What do you guys think? What do you guys think? Yes. All right. That was right out the gate. You need a microphone? Okay. Raise your hand. Where are you? Fred. Fred. Fred needs to be heard. Let Using a mic heard. in our studio audience so the people at home can hear what we're saying. <laughs> I, I think the, uh, the there's um, sometimes we feel that People that are spiritual don't have any problems. And so this scripture shows us that these guys had some problems. They oh, yeah. got thrown in jail, got beaten up. There's, there's even uh, the other scripture that I like to put with that one is where Jesus tells his disciples to get in a boat and go across the lake, and he'll catch up with them later. Well, they are in the center of God's will. Some people say there's perfect will center. Anyway, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do, and there's a storm, yeah. and they think they're going to die. Jesus sent them out there, but in the middle of the storm, Jesus comes walking to them. Mm-hmm. And so in our storms, we need to look for Jesus. Yeah. And, and I just think that s- storms happen in the center of God's will, yeah. and we need to Agree. look for Jesus and be thankful that he's, he's with us. Yes. Amen. That's good. How do you overcome if you've got nothing to resist? That's true. So follow along with kind of dovetails right with and continues the thought that was just mentioned. So, well, two things. Number one, nowhere in the Bible, in the Bible does it say that if you follow Christ, your life will be easy. It's <laughs> not in there. It actually says the opposite. In fact, it says the exact opposite. Yeah. But be of good cheer. He does promise that if you follow him, he will make it easier to deal with. Life happens. You know, there's nothing you can do about it. Life happens. 
But if you follow Christ, it will be easier to deal with and then to continue along with that. So, you know, Jesus is walking on the lake and, you know, Peter says, you know, if you tell me to, I'll come to you. And Jesus says, well, come on. And so as long as Peter is keeping his eyes on Jesus, he's walking on the water. But as soon as he gets distracted and, and looks at everything else, that's when he starts sinking. Mm-hmm. But guess what? As soon as he starts sinking, what happens? Jesus grabs him. Jesus grabs him. So see, it's, it's just, it's not that complicated. Yeah. He also says, my peace I leave with you, not peace like the world. It's my peace I leave with you. And it does, it surpasses all understanding. And sometimes we have to allow it to surpass even our own understanding to get to have that peace. I'd like to make a note. We were talking about living life with the Holy Spirit also. Um, and just to give a little background for me, like when I, I grew up like with parents who taught me about the Holy Spirit and life with the Holy Spirit, and I was very thankful for that, but I got to a point where I got really disillusioned um, with people who kind of abused the name of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't, and so I didn't really want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. And, um, like, sometimes um, even things that, like, I, like I, see, I look back now and I can see there were parts where I actually was hearing the Lord's leaning where he's like, hey, go do this thing. Um, and I would actively not do it because I wanted to prove to myself that I wasn't just being paranoid. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like that's that's stupid. You're trying to make something happen that's not going to happen, um, and it really messed me, it really messed me up. Um, and when I like God just started kind of wooing me back with people who actually were good examples of what it looks like to live life with the Holy Spirit, to like hear the voice of the Lord, and to not know everything that's going on, yeah. and bringing me to a security of like, you know what, you're never going to do everything well. You're never going to hear, it's like, there are times we're going to do our best, but we're going to mess up unintentionally and it's okay. And I'm going to die being unperfected, but that doesn't stop me from trying and from right. living life with the Lord in faith. And so I just sat down with God and I was like, look, dude, I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is what my conversation with, with God is like. Okay. I was like, look, I can't tell if. These, if I'm like hearing the Holy Spirit or if I'm crazy and it's all in my head and I'm trying to fabricate your voice and what I think you should sound like, can you please help me find the difference? Yeah. And it helped because it was, happened to be when I was studying abroad. And so I wasn't with my family. I wasn't with my friends. I didn't have anybody else to necessarily like influence it. It was just like me and the Lord focused time. Um, and I just kind of started experimenting. And I was like, all right. I feel like I'm being told to do this thing. This is not what I would normally do. And I don't think I made this up because I wouldn't really think of this. So let's just see what happens. And, and it was like softballs, you know? So it was like I would actually see, like I would follow the Lord's leaning and I would see like a more immediate result. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. And then like other times it'd just be like totally off. I'm just like, I think, and you're just starting to like know and feel the difference in your spirit, I guess. Yeah. Um, but disillusionment's a real thing. And if you are feeling disillusioned, like, ask the Lord for clarity because he loves to give it. He loves to give good gifts to his kids. Yeah. And he doesn't expect you to have it all together. Right. And it's like, even if I hear wrong, 
I also trust that the Lord is still good and he redeems yeah. and he, he covers me. And it's like, I'm just going to walk with you the best that I can and trust you that you're good and everything. Yeah, and even in those situations, worst case scenario, you pray for someone and it's not perfect, they know that someone cares about them and you just pray for someone. Yeah. I mean... There is such thing as fruit that you're not going to see. Exactly. And so it's like, you know what? If it didn't turn out the way that I thought it did, I was obedient and I'll yeah. let the Lord do whatever he do. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so quick story time. So <laughs> <laughs> I lived in Kenya for a few months and um, I met lots of really cool people who were um, Muslims who um, actually went to this missionary's debates. He would debate the sheikhs and the imams, and he just knew the Quran back and back to front, and he knew the Bible back to front, and he spoke Arabic. This is just like a guy from America, and he's anyways. So, one of the people that got saved from the debate. Um, joined his missionary school and um, learned the Bible and started going out and evangelizing uh, in Kenya. So um, he and a couple of his buddies were going out and preaching the gospel and seeing people saved, healed, and delivered, like literally healings, people getting, like Muslims getting saved and, and real deliverances. So the Muslims did not like that, um, which, you know, makes sense. So uh, they took him and his friends captive. And I met all these, it was three guys. I met these guys and they said that um, basically the Holy Spirit told them to wait up one night because they had been beaten and they were like chained inside of this um, house. So um, the, they waited up, the guard fell asleep, they somehow got the key and escaped, and um, they ran down, kept running, and they hid inside of a house. The next morning, they realized that they're gone, and the, the captors, or the, the people who caught them, tried to find them, so they were knocking on doors, going door to door to door, and as they passed the house that they were hiding in, they said, oh, there's not a house there. Let's move on. Wow. God had literally hid the house. It was a house, but they did not see it. Wow. And I was like, you know, that's kind of a crazy story, like an invisible house. <laughs> <laughs> so he literally, he pulls up the back of his shirt and he shows me all the scars where they literally beat him. Like <clears throat> that really happens today. Like yeah. God breaks people out of prisons today. Oh yeah. And, um, yeah, I, he makes houses invisible. It's really cool. I'm just saying, like, it was not just for the the people in in the 100 years after after Christ died, but like, it's for us now. It's still happening, and if you want to take part in it, you can, and you have access to it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's like a Jesus mind trick. This is not the house you're looking for. <laughs> I just wanted, I don't know, there's a lot of things I like to say because I like to talk, but, uh, (laughs) you know, 
Lydia mentioned that a lot of times there's fruit that you don't see, and our job isn't to make fruit because we don't have that ability. We plant seeds. Mm -hmm. And when you plant a seed, you can't see it because it's in dirt. And it grows and turns into fruit, yep. but that's because God grows it. That's right. You know, we can only do our part. And I've had a lot of times talking to God is like, am I crazy? Am I really here in the spirit? Like she said. But when I, what I've realized through the years is if I'm hearing that stuff, like, am I crazy? Is this wrong? Is it really God? It, God doesn't speak in negativity. So yeah. if you're hearing that about what you think you're hearing from God, that's the enemy attacking you, yep. trying to distract, distract you from what God says. And with what Fred said about, you know, there's storms in God's presence, there's a lot more storms in his presence. Because if you're not in his presence, there's nothing to distract you from. Yeah, I've heard someone say one time, <clears throat> if you don't run into the devil every once in a while, it might be because you're going in the same direction. <laughs> <clears throat> but to, to that point, um, also real quick, to uh, that parable, I love that parable because I've heard sermon after sermon after sermon about people arguing over the casting of seeds and the hard ground and the different things coming up. That whole parable is about exactly what you're talking about. Cast seeds. God's going to make it happen. Some will, some, just throw them freely. Like, that's, to me, that's been the big, biggest hindrance for me personally and for what I see in a lot of people around me that, that got saved, started going to church, went to, like, ministry-type schools to go evangelize has been this idea that it's up to us to do it. And it's not, we're, and, and that we've got to, like, make sure that they make a decision right there. And it's not always the case. It's up to us to plant the seeds. They may make a decision a month, a year, two years from now. We give freely, no strings attached. This is, this is the gospel. This is the good news. We declare it. We're not trying to convince people of it. You declare it. It's the truth. It does what it does. And that's why it says his word never returns void. It's not our convincing people or arguing people into it. I've not argued anybody into anything. You speak the truth, and it will resonate in them because they're created by their father. Anyway. That gets Paul, me excited. Paul planted about that. a palace water. The Lord gives the increase. Yep. So I was going to go back to the um, when Jesus was walking on the water uh, story. And um, so it's interesting because that passage has been on my heart for a while now, like several months. And this last week, the song, uh, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And that's mm -hmm. something that's like been coming to my heart over and over because I think a lot of times with what happened with Peter is what happens with us. And so a few things that I've been like thinking on with that story is, one, they didn't know it was Jesus at first, right? They thought it was a ghost. And so he had to speak for them to know who it was, right? Mm -hmm. the, the voice thing that you mentioned earlier, they had to hear his voice. And then Peter says, Lord, if it's you, then call me to come out. And when he called him, he came out onto the water. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we assume, I mean, I would assume from that there's visibility issues, right? There's, it's not, I don't even know what the storm looked like. Could they physically see him in it, right? So I, this is my brain, like, starts asking God all these questions. But something that I guess for me and just my life recently and just the things going on, um, I think what happens too sometimes is when we're, when we step out and we've heard God and then the storm is there, and we sink because God didn't show a picture of Peter walking perfectly on water. He showed a picture of Peter falling, yeah. right, because he got distracted by what was going on around him. And he started looking at the darkness instead of keeping his eyes on the lighthouse, right, right that was calling him or even asking God. He could have asked God again, speak so I can keep going towards you, right, so I could hear you. 
but he didn't do that, and so he fell, and we don't see God um, getting on to him about, you didn't walk right, or you didn't do this right. He immediately, Jesus, you know, Peter calls to Jesus and says, save me, and he immediately reaches his hand in mm-hmm. and picks him back up, and that's something that, for me, I'm reminded of as I step out in faith on what I think the Lord has called me to do, and then the storm is there. If I falter, I don't even have to be afraid because he's going to get me. Mm -hmm. Like, even if I fall and I sink, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to go backwards. I just need to call on him, and he's going to pull me up out of the water. And then when he reprimands Peter, if you want to call it that, it's not because of his performance. It's because of his trust. Mm -hmm. Hey, why did you doubt? Right. Don't doubt me. That's when we sink. It's not how we walk it or how we do it. It's just listening and staying towards where he's called us and just trusting him that even if we mess it up somehow, he is going to be right there to get us back on the water. So I just wanted to share that. Yeah, that's good. I always think it's funny that we give Peter such a hard time because he fell, but none of those other jokers were jumping out of the boat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have something to share that kind of goes along with what Brother Fred was saying and Margaret also. But I think this whole picture of Christians not struggling is something that we kind of brought on ourselves here in the past and then even more with social media. We like to, we have bad habits that we gain by living in the world and doing worldly things. And one of those is one up in everybody. So we like to have the nicer car, the better looking family, the better clothes and all that. Well, that doesn't go away necessarily when we immediately become Christians. So we like to look like God's blessing us in these, all these ways and look how God's working so much in my life and this and that and not show any of the hurts or the struggles because in our heads that's making us look less than other people and making us better because we're holding on to those same temptations and some yeah. of those same difficulties. And then so we want to put on social media, hey, I went to Hades and saved drowning kids or I did this and saved dying puppies when it can also <laughs> just be going to the grocery store and the person in the line and this or that. But that kind of gets, it's not the same oomph in the different things. So, and it doesn't become natural and you make it into a movie and it gets kind of weird and muddled. (laughs) And so I just, I think that's something that we've done to ourselves. And that's why we don't see this picture of the struggling Christian who falls into the water and has to get held back up. It's like we're going across the water on a jet ski because God's got us so good or whatever. (laughs) Right. But it becomes that hashtag too blessed and all, all that stuff that kind of comes together. And it, it just becomes, um, I know for me, because I wasn't, I didn't grow up Christian and saved. It was more recent for me. And so all of that was like, well, I don't want to go in there broken and struggling with what I'm struggling with. They're not going to accept me because I'm nowhere near the level that they're at. Right. And it was like this special club that you couldn't get into. And I think when you have one, open discussions like this, but two, when you stop being isolated, which is what's kind of going on with a lot of this stuff, and you start actually talking with each other and living life together, mm-hmm. if it's more than just showing up on Sundays, looking your best dressed, and you're actually going through some of the stuff Monday through Saturday together, then you actually see how you're struggling and how they're not doing it by their strength, they're having to do it through God's strength. Yeah. But that gets kind of, I think, covered up by all those things in the front. I think another layer of that that lends itself to exactly what you're talking about is social media because you can think everything's great because of what you see on social media and the whole world could be falling apart. And unless you have that relationship to be able to minister to care for the people like that, and I think that is as much, I'm not going to compare because 
the Bible says don't compare ourselves to ourselves for a reason, for that same reason, but instead he says uh, to love your neighbors yourself. In other words, to have empathy, to care the same way he did, to care for what's going on with someone else, not comparing. And it goes even further than what you have, you know, monetarily. It, I've seen it, the ugly truth that kind of had me jaded like, like uh, you were, Lydia, is I've seen Christians passive-aggressively hurt other Christians and like deeply, like me, hurt me. <laughs> I'm not just talking about in general, but for me, I've had people hurt me using these biblical words like honor and love and caring, and they're just stabbing me <laughs> in the chest, you know? And you see that same thing because they're more anointed or they're more, why, basically, why haven't you done more? I'm doing more than you are kind of thing. It's the same type of spirit. It doesn't, we, can, we can look at it different ways, the same type of spirit. And Jesus squashed that when, we say, when he says, go love your neighbor as yourself. Go put yourself in their position so that you can empathize, so that you not just pity them, like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to save this drowning baby or this puppy. Well, that's why coming here was such a beautiful thing. We're struggling with that, and the main message here is grace. Yeah. And grace kind of eliminates it does. all that. Once you add grace in, then none of that really matters it anymore. The, and then you're just, you're with the Lord and content, just like you were talking about. Yeah, it levels the playing field. Grace is this, the thing that, that I don't know what you call it, grace haters or whatever that they call it, greasy grace or whatever, the thing that they fear is, or I don't, I'm not just a broad generalization, but from, from what I gather from what a lot of people will say, attacking grace is that it makes people apathetic, that they don't care and they don't do anything, which is the exact opposite. Grace should be the wind in our sails that pushes us because he's taken all the hard work and done it for us, so now we're free. Like our, our calendar's clear. You don't have to come to, you can come up to the, I don't want to call an altar, it's steps. <laughs> Jesus died on altar. You can come up and pray if you need to, but don't, you don't have to get re-saved and re, you don't have to, confess every single sin because you can't remember them anyway. You confess once for all and Jesus saves you and you are born again. You're a Christian. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't have a journey. It doesn't mean that we don't work out. This is another problem I've had with, with modern day westernized churches that there are these points in which these things happen when it's a life. It happens day by day by day by day. We work out our salvation. It's not just this. Yes, you do get saved at this point, but after that, it is a life of growing. It is go on being baptized. Go on being drunk in the Spirit. Go on being filled. Go on moment by moment, day by day by day. Not just here, everywhere. Because you are, you carry the Holy Spirit. And so when you, when you talk about grace, grace just wipes out all that self-righteousness that unfortunately the church has tried to pour law from a covenant we weren't even invited into on top of grace and make us feel bad because we believe in, in Jesus. Grace isn't separate from Jesus. He is it. <laughs> he is. It's grace through faith in Jesus. It is him. He's a person. It's not just a thing or a theology. So I love that when we, some of the things that I see that I've seen over the years is <clears throat> I don't, or I try not to strong arm you guys into giving money for church. I hope that I do a good job. I don't know if I do or not. I hope that the Holy Spirit leads you in giving. If he doesn't, then that's on him. It's not on me. I mean, genuinely, he knows the needs we have, and if, if he wants us to continue, he'll put it in your heart to give us whatever amount that is. T I'm getting off on a tithing thing. Tithe was old covenant. Tithe was to take care of the, of the minister that was making intercession. Jesus is your minister. The Holy Spirit is your minister. You don't have to give 10%. Now you give whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to give, and when you leave, you don't say, well, I already gave at church. You can tip someone well when you leave here. You can bless someone. You're not just limited to this broken-down system. Now you're free. Freedom scares people. I'm, now I'm going on a tangent. Freedom scares people that want to control. Huh? 
Free to give nine? 90? 90, yeah. That's about nine. I mean, you could. 90's better. No, but yeah, if you're nine, whatever. If you need 10% to help you, that's, you're free to do that too. But I'm just saying, when, when we as believers understand grace, the truth of who Jesus is, and we can minister to other people without, uh, Mark used to call it, hooks or uh, no strings attached. The beauty of that is this grace takes all this weight of responsibility off of us as far as doing the work. He's done the work. He says, Lord, what, what, must, what works must we do to inherit this kingdom? He says, the work, singular, is to believe on my son. He has taken care of the works, which is the hard part. The work is just to believe on him and to share that with everyone else, to declare it, to cat, like we were talking about seeds, just cast seeds. Give it, declare it to everyone that you come in contact with and watch God work in people. It's amazing. We get to be a part of it. <laughs> it's not all on your shoulders. We are yoked with him and he's doing all the heavy lifting. Yeah. So um, I could actually see and understand how um, the idea of grace in the short term could cause issues. You know, you understand grace, well then, heck, if I don't have if, if, if I don't have to, I'm not going to give any money. Mm-hmm. I, could, I could see that. And an argument could be made that in the short term, the idea of grace is, is, can be a bad thing. But if you really get into it and you really look at it, if you go deeper than just the surface, I mean, it's, it's really the absolute answer. Mm-hmm. And another thing, so I once heard uh, somebody say, um, the tithe was Old Testament. The tithe was the law. So if you're supposed to give 10% under the law, what are you supposed to be doing under grace? Right. You know, it's all his anyway. Yeah. I had a conversation with Paul White actually at a previous conference on the way from the airport. And I asked him because we saw when grace began to be discovered and freedom began to happen, um, we saw some people fall off. Like they would go off the deep end and just start sending up a storm. And I was like, you know, how do we reconcile this? And he said, well, that was in their heart. He made a really good point. And it was, and specifically the, the, the person I was thinking about in this scenario, he was right that they had fallen under a legalistic system that kept them bound up for so long that they didn't, they didn't have any grace to discover who they truly were. And so they will eventually do what I did when I was younger in trying to find it and everything else. And they'll end up realizing that it's not out there. And so who, to me, the person under grace will mature much faster than the person under law because the person under law will just be trying to maintain, but as soon as the threat's lifted, what's going to happen? Yep. That's the thing. That, that's it's the... Like grace your kids. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Even the, the scriptures tell us the law was like a substitute teacher, basically. But the Holy Spirit now teaches us all things. The Holy Spirit keeps you. And God, I always say this, and I, I always think about this. God didn't go through all this trouble of sacrificing his son, <laughs> having him ascend, and sending us the Holy Spirit so you would be confused about what he's wanting to tell you. He's very clear. We, we, I think we put a lot of confusion into it. He's not, he's not confusing at all. God is very clear. It's not that complicated. This thing is not that complicated. We complicate it. Yeah. I've been dealing this last month with a lot of sickness, a lot of migraines, a lot of people praying for me. And it's kind of shaken my faith. It's kind of made me feel disillusioned. But 
just the prayers of others and their faith has made my faith rise. Mm -hmm. And so Friday, I'd been in the bed for a couple of days, and and so I was getting really discouraged. I had some ladies praying for me. The more they prayed, the worse I felt. And, you know, <laughs> you kind of think, well, God, what's going on here? Have you just forgotten about me? And you know, all day long I had my praise music on. I couldn't even form words to sing with it because I was in so much pain. But, and then I had Joyce Meyer twice I listened to, and that encouraged me. And if I wasn't home, I wouldn't have been doing all that. I wouldn't have been praising all day. I would have been running around town. But then yesterday, I started feeling better. I started, the clouds started lifting. I started, my joy came back. And, and I don't want my joy to be based on how I feel physically, you know, and on my circumstances. And my, I don't want my faith based on what God's doing or not doing. But I know he has a purpose for it. Now, I know he loves me. I know he hasn't forgotten about me. And hopefully that will encourage someone else when you're in God's waiting room. You know, it doesn't make sense, you know. Yeah. And you can say, God, I've been praying for 26 years. And, you know, the answer's not there. And I feel like God's saying, you know, I love you and I haven't forgotten about you. And just trust me. I'm doing things through you and in you that I couldn't do without this sickness. Well, sometimes I think that <clears throat> I don't think I don't believe that God sends adversity to us. I think we live in a fallen world and we're going to run into it. Life happens, like you were saying. But in the midst of it, I think there are times that we wrestle with God through what we're doing and sometimes we walk away with a little bit of a limp because, like, we... we it's. I think it's healthy that we wrestle with these things because when we wrestle with these things, um, we have a better understanding. Even discussions like this, I, I like discussions like this because we can, we can hear what you guys are thinking, what you're feeling. Um, I'm not the only one in here with the Holy Spirit. So you guys are hearing things that are similar or that, that may need to be heard. So there's, there is a wrestling that we do, and most of the time it's, it's usually us doing more of the wrestling than God. Like I said, God is usually very clear. It's, it's us trying to figure out how we need to play that out in our lives. And so I think that if we, if we try not to overcomplicate it, it would help us. I think it would do us good to not overcomplicate it. Genuinely, if the Lord prompts you to do something and, and you're confused about it or if you're scared, take a deep breath. Just say, Lord, I know this is your will, and go and do. It's, it's seriously, it's that simple. Listen and go. And at the, at the absolute worst case scenario, you pray for someone, they know that they're loved and someone prayed for them. If, some, if they don't grow a new arm right then, I hope they do, but, or whatever it is. If they don't, that's okay. They know that they were loved. They know that someone stopped out of their busy day or whatever, and they prayed for them. I mean, that, that's huge. You don't know what that means to someone in, in that moment, being prompted by the Holy Spirit. And here's the cool thing, real quick. Here's the cool thing. You get to be a part of that. Now, if you miss it, that's okay. Don't beat yourself up about it. Just recognize it. Don't miss it next time. God will bring somebody else along. He's got lots of us. Um, but be a part of it. Be, you, we get to be a part of it, and it's really cool. Yes. Carol? Um, I, I, the, the way we walk in the Lord, he, just, he loves us, and he has wonderful plans for us. I don't have to tell you all I'm old. So I've lived a long time, <laughs> and I, I've seen the hand of the Lord in my life and in the lives of my friends in ways that are miraculous, mm -hmm. that we never prayed, prayed for, never planned for, never said, oh, we've got to pray for the next revival. And a, a Methodist friend told me about a great revival. I mean, it just at every turn of my life. So when the worst thing of my life happened, and my husband died. I came to this church because my children came to this church because the Turners were at this church. <laughs> and they were childhood friends. I mean, mm -hmm. Aunt Melissa was my daughter's first piano teacher. 
So because my daughter had taken piano from Melissa when right. she was six years old. <laughs> okay, so can we line this up? <laughs> we can't possibly line up the goodness of God in our lives right. when we are totally unaware of it. Yeah. And to come here and to hear Mark preach the gospel of grace, mm -hmm. which I had sung of grace and learned of grace and thought of grace, but I never understood that we can live our lives toward the tree of life yeah. and not toward ourselves and not towards brokenness, but towards life yeah. at the time when I needed it most of my life. And the faithfulness of the Lord since then in this last eight years is phenomenal. And I am going to write a book. I just haven't gotten around <laughs> to it yet. <laughs> And so the Lord has added blessing on blessing. And I have this dear friend who moved in with me a few months ago. Uh, she happens to be Bill's mom, but that's beside the point. Uh, she, I'm so grateful. I'm so blessed. And I planned none of it. Was I in the will of God? Absolutely. Because he loves me right. that much. Not because of the choices I made, the decisions I made. I didn't have enough knowledge to make those decisions, yeah. but God did. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Wait. Oh. Were you first? Yeah. I'll fight you for it. <laughs> but, um, okay. <laughs> I just like something that Moss said, I think summed it up really well. It's like, none of us, it's like, we're, yeah, we're, we talk all about grace and stuff, but it's like, we all know that we're all messed up <laughs> and that like we're saved, but that we're like, we're, we live in a fallen world. And part of that is like human nature. And it's like, I, I guess I know a lot of people who are so focused on the fact that like, we're so, like humans are so terrible and like we're saved, but we're still so terrible. Lord help us. And trying to be less awful and like feel like you're worthy of something and I think what really shifted for me was it's like yeah I know I'm not perfect and I'll be the first to admit it and I can see it in my daily life and I used to like beat myself up about it constantly but what but you know what's empowering is that we have grace and that the Lord is like hey walk with me do not expect to get everything right but I'm asking you to listen to me and to like when you when you listen and you're directed to go yeah is that I am going to live and do my best, but I'm also going to accept the grace and the forgiveness that the Lord gives me. And so when I screw up, that I can come not feeling like I have to hide myself, being like, hey, I'm so sorry. And he gives me a clean slate, I repent, and I change the way that I live. Yeah. And so I don't have to be caught up in the fact that, like, oh, I'm so terrible. I hate myself. I wish that I was just in heaven and that I was perfected. It's like, no, there are things that we can only happen here on this earth that couldn't happen, you know, otherwise. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? I can walk in my identity and I can walk in grace and be empowered to actually do what he tells me to do. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to point out a couple things. Uh, Paul and Silas were in prison and we see that. Mm -hmm. They didn't. They were free. It was mm -hmm. just another room. It had bars. It was, but it, <laughs> yeah. they were free. To yeah. do, come, go, whatever. Yeah. They were free. That's good. And the scripture was where uh, 
Peter falls in the water and Jesus picks him up, it's, it says ye of little faith, but that's a, that's a bad translation. It's actually ye of inconsistent faith. Hmm. His first two or three steps were that's fine. Yeah. It wasn't until he took his eyes off, his faith moved over here. He saw the wave. You know, it was one of those 17-footers. Then he fell. Mm-hmm. So. I think that highlights also it, it wasn't the amount of faith that was where he placed it. So his faith went from Jesus to the waves or the lack of foundation. He was a fisherman. He knew water. Yeah, he knew water. He it's knew not like he couldn't only, swim. He, he knew the only time you walk on water is when it's frozen. <laughs> he knew that. Right. I'm sure that when he stepped out of that boat, he looked at that water saying, what are you going to do this time? And when his foot didn't go in, he looked straight at Jesus. Yeah. He stayed focused on Jesus for the first, mm-hmm. I'm going to say five steps. It wasn't until he got used to it that he looked over and saw what was really going on around him. Right. Then he fell. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> exercise the injury day. <laughs> my husband and I are always like, we're getting fluffy. We've got to start exercising. Um, yes, I know everybody's hungry, so I'm going to keep it short. But you were talking about the storm. Yeah. I think the storm that we're all in today is the world in its present state. We can all say that this is a storm. Yeah. And it's not just COVID. It's a lot of things. Um, and the thing that I, I see, I see two different kinds of believers. I see a lot of believers who want to want to run away and stay in their little whatever or please forgive me everybody that's listening online or, or f- not coming together to to be here because they're concerned totally understand that when Jesus was praying to the father before he left in John 17 one of the specific things he said that I think we miss or at least I've missed I'll just put it on me Jesus said, I am not asking you to take them out of the world. He's not asking us to run away. He's not asking us to be afraid. Yes, we use wisdom. We're wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Mm -hmm. He said, what I'm asking you, Father, is that you keep them from the evil one. Yeah. Okay? We are not of this world, but we are in the fallen world. We are called to be the salt and the light of the world. Right. Jesus said, Jesus said after that, he said, because I'm commissioning them to be my representatives in the world. We have the answer. We carry the explosive power of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. We have the hope of the world. If we don't get out and become the counterculture, there's nobody else. Yeah. People talk about problems with America and they say there's no one there's nowhere else to move. Let me tell you something. If we don't have Jesus, there's nobody else. Yeah, there's no we carry the hope of salvation. And yeah. so if I can encourage all of us today, don't ask God to take you out of this world. Just ask him to keep you from the evil one and to be the light in the darkness. Yes. I agree. Anyway. And don't and don't support this, this, oh man, I might get in trouble too. Um, don't support this idea of taking a stand for the sake of taking a stand. What are you taking a stand for? I see people, I'm not talking about a post on Facebook, a mask, no mask, vax, no vax. I'm not talking about any of that. Ta- are you taking a stand to love in the midst of all this stuff that's going on? What are we taking a stand for? Um, I don't care what 
side of the road you're on, you make the best decision for you and your family. I'm not going to try to coach you one way or the other. Once again, be wise as a serpent and be innocent as a dove. Be wise with what you do. Be, you know, not, we're not talking about being reckless and going out and trying to get sick. Be wise. Do the best what you think is. But know that there's something greater than COVID. Know that there's something greater than a political party. Listen, find a Democrat or a Republican or somebody to talk to that you disagree with so that you can have a conversation so that you can see their perspective. You may agree and disagree in different areas than you even thought because all you see is what's on Facebook and something they shared from somebody else. I'm saying don't take a stand for the sake of taking a stand, saying, oh, I'm going to take a stand for this, I'm going to take a stand for that. The world will be shaken. The Bible says it's all going to shake. Everything that's not him is going to shake. Don't be surprised when it does. It's shaking now. Economy is going to shake. All this stuff, all these tensions are going to shake. Know the foundation that you have, and if you take a stand, take a stand for being strong on that foundation in the midst of all this storm. That's what we need to take a stand on. Are you willing to, to private message that person, not call them out in public to, to, to prove a point? And I mean, I'm speaking to myself too. Are, are you willing to take someone to coffee or if, if they don't want to go to coffee, to talk to them privately to, to, hear what, to actually care enough to hear what they have to say, to love them through something, not to force them into something? How Jesus did it. You just mentioned something really good, which was if you have an issue with your brother, go to them privately. I've heard that somewhere. Yeah, I thought that was... It's in a book I read. Yeah. Start there. Start there. Have a conversation. Somewhere. <laughs> it is written. So, same thing about confessing your sins to one another. We talked about this earlier. The Bible teaches us you confess your sin, singular, the state, once, and you're born again. You confess your sins one to another. Why? Because we need to know other people struggle. I need to know that everything, you know, I, all I see on Facebook isn't, isn't all that's there. I, take the time to share your struggles. Take the time to share your hurts and your heartaches. Take the time to encourage, just like you were talking about, to pray for, to encourage your brothers and sisters. Take the time to do that. If you want to take a stand, take a stand for those things, to love in the midst of the storm, not to try to just pick sides and prove a point to, to show that you're smarter than someone else, because that's easy. Or to be angry. It says angry, be, you can be angry, but, don't, but sin not. Listen, I'm angry about a lot of things. I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I, don't like, I don't like a lot of things that I see going on. I don't. But those aren't the things that we need to take a stand for. We need to take a stand for love in the midst of those things and to minister to those, especially the ones you disagree with. All right, stand up with me. I'll let you guys go eat. Father, I love you. We praise you today. Lord, we come to you um, um, with, with prayers and concerns for those uh, of, of our church family and even those that aren't of our church family that are sick right now. Lord, we pray healing in Jesus' name. Lord, we stand on the truth that, that, that your kingdom comes and your will is done on this earth as it is in heaven, and we know there's no COVID-19 in heaven. So we pray your heaven come and, and defeat this disease and get rid of it. Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom on how to handle this, even in the midst of dealing with it. We're not ignorant that, that it is dangerous. Lord, we're not, being, we're not being foolish. We're not being reckless, Lord. But we know that what is inside us is greater than what's around us. So Lord, help us to give hope to those that are around us, whether it's sickness, death, health, joy, any of it, Lord. We are steadfast in you. Lord, you give us the joy. You give us the righteousness and the patience to go through these things. Lord, and we are not, we will not waver. We will take a stand for your gospel, for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.